the first time I felt a shift in my age, in my, that I moved from one place to another was 25. 25 felt very much, not so much the number, but when I reached there, I thought, wow, my youth is really behind me, like that sort of frivolous youth. Hi, I'm Teresa, and welcome to the podcast that explores the stories the body holds and the stories the body tells. I'm Sherry, and our aim is to connect the individual to the collective through our shared stories of living in a body. And each week, Sherry and I pick a different topic and have a casual conversation. This is Anecdotal Anatomy. Are you recuperated from our long weekend? Yes, and in fact, I feel a bit rejuvenated from it. I feel that it was exactly the retreat. You know, as facilitators, we don't get to actually be on retreat. And at the same time, we get to benefit from all the beautiful energy of retreat. So um, the connection with the humans and the nature and the animals and the everything was just really nourishing. And for those you? you? Uh, I, well, I, what I thought of exactly after I asked the question is, for those of you who weren't, don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> I just jumped right in like I Please always do. Please do explain. <laughs> but we did have our Rhythm and Rhyme retreat last weekend. So I agree. There's this um, exhilaration of being able to participate in all of the different activities, but still a little bit of like tiredness at the end from being the facilitator. So it was really an interesting blending of I'm on paying attention, but also the ease and the comfort and the rejuvenate rejuvenative. I got that word out. If it is a word. Did I, I don't know if it's a word. It, it, you may have. You may have. But you know what? Language evolves. Language evolves. Yeah, we always <laughs> add new words to the dictionary. Um, or new, you know, old suffixes to old words. Like, you know, everything was eyes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Let's go. <laughs> I don't want to derail. Yes. So I do. I feel good with the rejuvenating practices that we shared, we were able to participate in. But it's kind of funny to also be on and knowing that you're the facilitator. So I found that I always find that interesting how much I take away whenever I'm in the lead role um, from the experiences, which I bet are significantly different than the people who attended. Absolutely. And as teachers, just being in front of the room, we have that same kind of energy So we get to participate. If we're a yoga teacher, sometimes we model. Some teachers do the practice. Some some teachers don't. But we get to see the students and we get to to be that person. So the thing that came up for me during the thing was uh, one of our participants, we were outside for a while and these big ants just kept finding her. And so we're in this meditation. And, you know, if you've ever meditated outside, you know, I am much more able to let the itches go and not scratch them when I'm inside. If I'm outside, I feel like something's crawling on me. It's going to get in my ear and then I'm a lot sort of more inclined to scratch the edge or at least explore that area. So, you know, as facilitators, we really want to make sure our participants are in their optimal space and that they can really, you know, take what they need from the practices. And if a bug is crawling on you, like maybe that'll take you out. So during the meditation, of course, I'm still meditating too, but I've, I've got to keep my eyes. You know, Teresa's doing her thing. And so when each one of us is doing our thing, the other one gets to kind of, you know, read the room and be there. So I see this black ant just crawling up our friend on the other side of the, the little gazebo. 
So I just got up and I let her know that I was there and I said, I'm just going to brush this off and brushed it off. So even when you're in the middle of something that you feel needs focus and it's got all of this attention, we still have the, you know, sometimes people might think it's an obligation, but we have the opportunity to be there for our people and in ways that are unexpected. Like wiping off ants. <laughs> Which became a thing because the bugs kept finding her. She is the sweetest blood of all of us. She did, and she did, and she really, like, shielded the rest of us from <laughs> from the end. So thank you. Thank you for that. So this is this isn't really what we're talking about, but it kind of leads into what we're talking about. Yes. So big announcement. Sherry, you and I both have a birthday coming up very close to the drop of this episode. So we're both cancers. You're on the early. cusp, though. You're I'm on, on right the cusp. on the cusp. Yes, I am the uh, July 21st, so I am Cancer with a Leo rising. So very, very cuspy uh, is how I am. And you're right at the beginning, right? Well, it starts June 21st, and I'm July 6th. So yeah, I am sort of in the beginning. And I'm turning, as my sister would say, double nickels. I'm double turning nickels. double nickels. And then it's also the national speed limit, 55, baby. <laughs> we just can't drive 55 system. <laughs> go back to the 70s and the gas shortage you just can't right. drive 55 <laughs> but yes we're getting older which actually does lead into today's conversation which is about aging with grace and glory or maybe not depending and i i need to put a disclosure in here a couple disclosures first of all I put eyebrows on every time before I come on. So I am absolutely augmenting my physical appearance. I also enjoy the Facebook filter that allows my wrinkles and other things to not necessarily exist in this forum. You know, I, I, I don't do anything with them in my life off of line, but this is kind of a nice feature. Um, I also, when I was 15, I had my nose done. 14, at the end of 14, almost 15. And later on in life, after my three pregnancies, I had really bad diastasis and I had umbilical hernias that three times I had to have them repaired. And at one point I had them just tuck me while they were in there. So this is not to say that plastic surgery is bad because we are talking about aging gracefully, but we, we talk in yogic language a little bit more about grasping and holding on and, you know, the yogic teachings around this, which I think, you know, are just uh, an interesting thing since we are yoga teachers. Yoga teaches on impermanence and acceptance. It teaches mind-body connection and self-reflection and self-care, among many other things, and paying attention to the body and letting things go as they go. You know, the gray hair, yes, I could probably look 10 years younger if I continued to dye my hair, but that the happiness is not contained in the dye. It's not contained in the knife that, that shifted things. I was already a happy person. So these changes were not designed to somehow make me happier or younger or in any other way more satisfied and whole. They just were like putting on my eyebrows and putting on the filter and just having a moment where, you know, I could look in the mirror and see the person that I, I see reflected internally as well as externally. You know, I also put on my eyebrows in the morning yeah. every day. There's something about not having them. You know, back in the 70s when I was in high school and we used to pluck our eyebrows, there was a trend back there where they were plucked so, so thin, right? A little bit different than maybe the fashion of how people do their eyebrows here in 2023. But what happened is I, I have very fine hair and very light 
hair on my body. So after doing that, my brows never came back. So now that's 63, going on 64, and they're gray and you can't see them, I definitely have to paint them on. But some of the things, and I don't know if this is because I moved to the beach or, and I don't think so, or if it's because I let my hair go gray. But I had to have surgery on the, on the top of my head on the crown a few years ago. And I decided at that point, I wasn't going to put chemicals and things in my hair anymore. So I started to naturally go gray and I haven't come back. One of the things I've noticed lately is my gray hair is a lot more frizzy than my brown hair was. <laughs> yep. So another little thing, I was like, I used to have like this really flat hair that never was affected by the humidity. But mm -hmm. here I am living close to the water, the humidity. And I'm like, wow, just look at my sideburns. They're all like frizzy and gray. But hey, that's uh, the new style. I have now some, some uh, what would we call it? Some oomph to my hair. <laughs> <laughs> I love the oomph. And yes, the dye definitely helped the texture, right? Like there's so many things that are desirable about it. So this is not a judgment about doing these things, but know why you're doing it. And if it's to hold on tight to something, then you might not find what you're looking for. And, and if you do, I mean, there's so much beauty out there. We want to celebrate women. We don't want to put any women down or make anyone feel shameful for making choices to, to feel more youthful because there is a connection, a mind-body connection that what we see in the mirror and what we see externally can feed how we feel inside. So there's that too. None of our conversations are one-sided. You know, everything exists in here. Yeah, we have a, a pretty big container that we try and hold for all possibility. But, you know, I just let out of, out of the bag and so did you. I'm going to be 64. You're going to be 55. Do you feel 55? Like if I said, how old do you feel, Sherry? Would you say, I feel exactly how old I am, 55? So I, I think the numbers are misleading because they're a linear sort of measure of where you are. And I've never really felt like a number, but I can say at certain ages where I felt a growth spurt. So 16 getting to drive, yeah, 21 getting to drink, 20 getting out of the teens, those were very academic. But the first time I felt a shift in my age, in my that I moved from one place to another was 25. 25 felt very much, not so much the number, but when I reached there, I thought, wow, my youth is really behind me. Like that sort of frivolous youth, the youth that had different privileges than I was able to move into after 25. I felt more stable. I felt like I was more focused. I felt like I had a direction. I felt like I was moving more deeply into my life. And then 30 came and you know, I also, as a little bit of a rebel, I'm like, fuck 30. Like 30 felt great. I felt so excited to turn 30. I felt excited to turn 40, but that was, that was culturally driven. As far as numbers are concerned, I, I don't feel like I'm aging in a linear fashion because I think I've said it before, I'm a late bloomer in a lot of the things that I do. Like if, if I'm not where I think I should be, I, I now know from the wisdom of my experience in my years that I'll get there when I'm meant to get there. You know, that what is for me will be for me and that I'm exactly where I'm meant to be right now, even if it's not where my dreams or the, my future, my futuring puts me. So as far as the number, 55 is fun as a repeating number. And let's see, what does, uh, I have my little book here. So let's see what Doreen Virtue says about 55 in her little book about angel numbers. And we'll see if I feel that. 
She says, this is a period of out with the old and in with the new. Welcome these changes as they bring about new blessings. Okay. All right. I there feel we like go. each day, each year is just a continuation and a growth and a, and a swelling of what came before. And sometimes it's an ebbing. Sometimes it's a pulling back and saying, ah, you know what? I need to, to chill out a bit. So, you know, do I feel 55? Yes. I, I don't, and I don't long to feel 30. I don't long to feel 25. You know, when people say, oh, you know, happy, whatever, 29th birthday. And I think, oh God, it was wonderful when I was 29, but I don't want to go back. You know, every <laughs> yeah, year going, it gets better. Yeah, going back. What I really want to know, what, since you have your book out, and uh -huh. this is really casual, can you tell me what 48 is? Yes. And then I'll tell you the story behind 48. 48, your prayers about money have been heard and answered by the angels. Well, look at that. So I celebrated being 48 two years in a row because I forgot how old I was. And was, I'm sorry. You had to watched. say that when I had water in my mouth. Oh, my God. Like, Jerry almost spit out her water. Oh I'm sorry for bringing that in. The aging process. 48, I guess so. I was, yeah. So I forgot how old I was and people would ask and I would say I was 48. So for the entire year that I was 49, I just thought I was 48. And when my birthday came around, I said to one of my sisters, I was like, I'm going to be 49 this year. And she goes, no, you're not. And I was like, I am not. She goes, no, you're going to be 50 this year because we all have, we're all odd numbered on even numbered years, uh, just the way that we were born two years apart. She goes, no, 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 no. It's an odd year coming up. Can't be an even. <laughs> so you're going to be 50. And I was like, Did I missed that whole last year of the 40s. <laughs> but, you know, it's such a mind fuck. Like it, it all is because you didn't really miss anything. You lived your life. But we have this idea that these numbers are more meaningful than maybe they are. You know, I wonder I if know. I made a lot of money that those two years. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Well, let's see what 49 is now. I'm like, what? oh, so yeah. while I'm looking at, oh, here's 49. The angels urge you to get to work on your major goals and life purpose without delay. Ask them to help you with ideas, courage, and motivation. So maybe you made it at 48 and then 49, you're like, what's going on here? You know? Yes. So, so how do you feel coming up on when I'm 64? When you sang that song as a kid, you probably thought that was like, Forever away. So, so, so far away. I actually, again, had to think, how old am I going to be this year? So just like you, the number feels a whole lot less significant. If I have to pause and think of what that number is, it's just a reminder that it is kind of insignificant. And honestly, when I look in the mirror, I still see the same person I saw when I was 17 and 20 and 25. It's not like I look in and go, wow, look at that old woman in there. There's something about gazing into my own eyes when I look in the mirror that I still see the same person I always have and don't really, as far as I can think of at this moment, think about it in an age way that I look at myself and think about age. Maybe I think about, you know, how I feel that day, mm -hmm. uh, something a little bit softer or did I put my eyebrows on straight? Right. To the two match, you know, little hints, but I don't feel a whole lot different than I than I could say. Oh, now I feel like I'm in my sixties. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's a number thing for me either. But you had taken a video during the retreat, 
that looking in the mirror is one thing. I only see a certain amount if I'm in my bathroom. And yeah, I see my mother a lot now. I definitely don't see the person I used to see. I see the person that I am today, which doesn't at all resemble the person I used to be. And I, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the over-identification with body. And, you know, I'm not sitting here saying I have, I have gotten over that. I am still, every once in a while, I'm reminded how much I still hold on to my own external thing. And when I saw that video and I was horrified at what I saw looking back, you know, post-menopause, I am 30 pounds heavier than I normally am. And that's not, that's neither here nor there. Um, but I do have heart issues now that my cardiologist seems to think is re resulting from that gain. And when I saw myself, I saw a person I did not recognize. It didn't have to do with age. It had to do with something else that I'm still trying to figure out. But for full disclosure, again, I'm still working on that over-identification with body as much as there are serious moments. If I don't look at myself on film, it's different on film than it is in the mirror somehow, then because I... When we look behind our eyes, from behind our eyes, I think I get very nearsighted, you know, and so it's really hard for me to see myself as I am when I'm looking out from this perspective. And sometimes that external jolt is just what I need to remind myself that I'm not practicing all the healthful eating and healthful exercise and healthful things that will help promote my overall wellness and well-being. I do get caught up in, you know, I've got still kids at home. And so, you know, I'm, I'm catering to their needs and sort of thinking I'm still able to do what I could do before. And I can't. My body is not the same as it was before. And it needs to be treated with a different kind of care, um, which I'm learning now because as hormones are getting out of balance and every, or I shouldn't say out of balance, but coming into a new set of balance, I need to learn what that is so that I can meet myself where I am without having to grasp I don't want to be where I was in my 20s or 30s or 40s. I want to be where I am now, but I want to be the best version of who I can be today. And I think I have some steps to take to get there. Yeah. You know, being that best version and really being able to embrace the changes that our body goes through. And sometimes they're unpleasant, like going through menopause. There's an embracing of the cycles of life and the cycles of change, you know, and then you've got all those great things like, oh, I'm not going to get my period anymore and no more cramps every month. And, you know, whatever else you're going to identify with those years of, you know, youthful menses. But then we come into menopause and it's like, oh, the hot flashes and I can't sleep at night. <laughs> whatever else those symptoms are, the body starts to change. You know, I also, uh, in my menopause, I don't have that weight today, but I gained. 30 pounds when I was going through menopause and everybody kept saying, oh, oh, don't worry about it. You know, I talked to my doctors and it was just kind of an off the cuff thing while well, you're going through menopause. So what do you expect? But if, how do we embrace each of these different phases of life with the changes that they, that they bring to us? Can we embrace them again rather than, you know, trying to hold on, to grasp on to the phase that we're moving out of rather than embrace the face that we're moving face. I said face instead of face. Rather than embrace the face that we're moving into. Sometimes I feel that I step lightly and gingerly into that next phase, waiting to see what it has to offer. I remember at the time that I was just 
maybe perimenopausal or menopausal. It was somewhere in my late 40s. Maybe it was the year I was 48 twice. I don't really remember. <laughs> but I was, it's, and it's interesting because people will say things like that. When was your first period? When would, did you go through menopause? And I'm really bad with dates. I could not tell you any of them. But I was shopping for a dress for a wedding. And I had a whole variety of different dress styles that I brought into the waiting room. And there was a woman who was probably 30 years or more my senior waiting, you know, outside the women's dressing room. There's always chairs for you to hang out and wait. And she was waiting for somebody who was also trying on clothes. So I went everywhere from, you know, a longer kind of very modest dress to a short, really kind of sexy dress and a little bit of all of the different things you might expect to see at a wedding. And I came out with this dress and it was kind of short and sexy. And I was like, and I must have made a face. And this woman who was significantly more, my senior, she said, if I were you, I'd buy that dress. And I was like, what? She said, if I were you, I would buy that dress. And I said, you don't think I'm a little bit old to be wearing this dress? And she said, age has nothing to do with numbers. And she said, and every single woman on the planet should find the things that make them feel vibrant and sexy. And without having this doubt in our mind on whether it's okay for us to wear it or not okay, and what are people going to think? She said, you walked out in that dress confident and tall. So wear the dress. I did buy it. I listened to her. Yeah. I mean, I don't know who came, comes up with these rules. You're too old to have long hair or too old to wear Doc Martens or whatever. I mean, there's all these rules that our culture sort of throws thrusts upon us and we buy it and we buy it along with the north of 450 billion dollars annually that we spend on health and wellness products and services annually i said annually twice anyway according to the mckinsey report that is rising five percent every year so you know we are part of that that industry we offer services not so much products unless you buy our merch go to our website buy our merch but we are part of that. We are offering services that help promote this feeling of wellness and mind-to-body connection and self-study and self-care and all of these things. But we want to do it in a way that is not obsessive, that doesn't, you know, sort of encourage this all-or-nothing thinking that we sometimes we start as small as a breath. You know, that's the practice. That's the thing. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to spend money on it. You just have to, to understand it and breathe it. So, you know, these are the discernment that comes with knowing what is it that I'm going to do for myself that makes me feel good at a fundamental level? And what is the thing that is obsessively, you know, in my head that I have to do this in order to look good in the world? You know, there are different ways in and, you know, there's no right or wrong. There's just, you know, how are you going to fully embody this? And, you know, it's, it's a daily question and I wake up with it every day. It's not an easy answer. And it does require attention. It requires consciousness and awareness so that we can continue to grow within whatever it is we're looking for. You know, our culture with social media and with all of these, the proliferation of this tech. You know, I'm Gen X. You're a boomer. We are, we, Gen X is the invisible generation. Whenever there's talk about generational shit, it's the millennials and the boomers are having a thing. The millennials and the boomers. Now, I... I watch Slim Sherry. What I don't know her her other name S H E R R I on Instagram, and she's like a Gen X, you know, warrior. I fucking love her, and she's funny, and she's got short purple hair, and 
I used to put magenta and purple in my hair too when I was in my late forties and I loved it. And I'm not, don't feel too old for that. I still feel like that, you know, I can dance at a dead show with the best of them. But what I think is that the Gen Xers in our sort of small, we're one of the smallest generations in our, in our, you know, small volume and in our quiet voices are loud and booming. I think we are the generation that started letting our hair go without thinking about it. You know, we are the ones who are sort of, you know, quietly, and I have no data to, to support this at all, except that I have peer groups and, you know, I pay attention that we're the ones who are saying, fuck the norms, you know, and that's affecting the generations above and below us. So, you know, I'll take my little Gen X space in this world. You know, talking about age and really un trying to educate myself about this subject of aging and what does that mean? I came across a term that was, it says, you may feel younger than your age. So it, they labeled that we love terms, we love labels, right? But youthful subjective age and older subjective age, which do we feel? Do we feel like we are our own age and we just like, I don't even really think about it much until we have that discussion about it on whether I subjectively feel more youthful than my actual years or do I subjectively feel older than my years. So what does that mean? I, you know, I'm wondering how many people are walking around going, oh my God, I feel like so much older or we get out of bed in the morning and go, today's the day that I just like, oh, I feel like an old woman. When my back was out, I had empathy for old people who have chronic pain. When you're ill or have chronic pain, then that subjective observation is different than when you feel good in your body and you feel able to move. And, you know, and I've had chronic pain in the past. I, it's not been, you know, infinite. I've been able to sort of get rid of it, but it gave enormous insight into people who walk around with invisible, you know, situations that may make them feel older. You know, I never had that when I was walking slowly with my grandparents when I was younger. It's like, come on, come on, my you know. And then as I aged with my parents as they got ill and needed to slow down, that that was a whole other experience. So if you've never had pain in your body, be thankful, be grateful, and know that, you know, that's a gift. Mm. There's gift in pain also, I will say. I wrote a blog about that many years ago. It does uh, bring us into an embodied experience, maybe in not in a gentle way, but it has the power of bringing us very close into our body when it speaks that loudly, where its communication is pain. You know, I always like to say, listen to the whisper so you never have to hear your body scream. But when it does, we hear it. While you were talking, it reminded me that recently I just had to go and get new glasses which are my fabulous, eye. by the way. Thank you. Thank you. And while I was getting my eyes checked, the, do the eye doctor was talking to me about cataracts and looking. That's, of course, one of the different tests that they do when you go to have your eyes uh, examined. So he began to educate me that cataracts start when our lens starts to get a little bit foggy. And he said, honestly, that happens somewhere around your mid-30s, early 40s, so that it's a natural aging process for people to have cataracts at some time, whatever that some time is, in their later life. But the changes start in your late 30s and early 40s. 
And when I did my workshop on osteoporosis and studied with and read all about osteoporosis from some really amazing teachers, I found that we started losing our bone density way back in the 30s. And I, I just thought, I was just blown away because I was like, oh my gosh, I was in my 50s when I was offering it. I was like, I've had my bone thinning since I was in my 30s. But the reason that I brought that up was because there are so many practices that were shared in my research on ways to build bone. So that thinning of the bone becomes how much of the bone is absorbed and how much of the bone is being built. And when those numbers and that scale tips, then we have more absorption and less building. So yoga practices, you know, different Late types bearing. of weight bearing, adding load, even just not even weight bearing, just holding warrior two and having your arms out and bearing the weight of your body, even if you're not like in a down dog, right. builds bone. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up on that and say enhances the production of the causes and conditions to hold on to your bone <laughs> density. I like yeah, that better because I don't know that it builds bone and that might, right. I may have misspoke right there. And just and for, for our listeners to do whatever research they want to do around dairy and carbonated drinks and their relationship to calcium and bone building, I don't want to get into a whole thing because, you know, there are probably arguments on both sides. But we live in a got milk society that may not have been serving us all these years in terms of bone. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. Google it. Uh, <laughs> And stay why, tuned why at some have... time in the future, I feel an osteoporosis <laughs> episode coming up where we can talk more in detail. Um, so what about aging? What are some of the things that are considerations? And Sherry, you gave me some really great information this morning while we were chatting in our pre-meeting meeting. So aging and the koshas, because if you are a long-term time listener, or if you're brand new to this episode, Sherry and I really love the layers of the body, this accepting of the holistic view of our being, body, mind, spirit, breath, the physicality, and how all of the different layers of the koshas, um, we like to separate them sometimes in our conversation and our practices, but they are inseparable. And we've talked about that so many times that how you can't 100% separate one part of your being from another even though reductionist theories sometimes really narrow that lens to look at a specific part of our physiology in its individuality. Yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of specialists who look at one part of the body and don't always know or consider the relationship to the other layers, which when we say holistic, we're spelling it W-H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C because it's about the whole, the whole body. It's nothing... It's really not woo. It's not, it's, it's very real. And Anamaya Kosha are physical. And the reason we separate them is purely for educational purposes so that you have a sense of what that thing is so that you can begin to, or we can all begin to create those threads of relationship and that we can begin to understand ourselves better because the way that these layers interact with each other will be different with each human. So, you know, someone might have more to work with in Manamaya than Anandamaya or whatever it is. So we offer the definition so that you can do the self-study, the Svadhyaya, which is one of the Niyamas, the observances in the second limb of yoga. 
So Anamaya Kosha, the physical sheath, we take care of our physical bodies. And how do we do that? We do that with, you know, good nutrition. We do that with physical exercise, which doesn't have to be like at this age, we don't want to be running, running, running. We don't want to be doing excessive exercise because we don't have the estrogen or the, the hormones to exchange for that. We don't have the right currency for that anymore. So to really know our physical bodies at different, and I'll say decades or, or stages of our lives rather than ages of our lives, because again, that will also um, have some variation. So you know, our physical body supports the whole thing. Like it's the container. So we want to take as good care of it as possible so that everything else it contains can, can thrive. We get into pranamaya, which is actually the energy sheet. It is the energy that, that typically we say rides the breath. You know, pranayama is breath work. Pranamaya kosha is the energy sheet. So we do that by doing different energy work and breath control work. So all of these things, these are things we offer. This is, this is what moves us and drives us to do the things that we do. So, you know, when we are in the, the, the sympathetic nervous system, we can bring the breath and draw in to the parasympathetic, to the more rest and restore. So there are ways that we can work with that. Manamaya, the mental and emotional. These are our thoughts and our emotions. And we know how important, if we wake up and we're pissed off or we have a fight with our our partner or, you know, someone or the cab driver, whoever, you know, that will affect the way that we interact with other beings. It will affect the way our body feels maybe. I mean, there's all different interactions, but it's essential to work with our thoughts and our emotions to feel vital at any age. Emotional healing work. Therapy is great. Go to therapy, work out your shit. You know, that's definitely going to have an impact on how you feel as you move forward. Vijnana Kosha, the wisdom sheet. Can we please honor the crone? Can we honor the years that we've been on this earth and the wisdom that we've gained? I think that in our culture, especially, we do not respect our elders. And the elders are the heartbeat of, of the world. They are, they've seen it all, man. They've, you know, are a lot of it. And then Anandamaya Kosha, the bliss sheet, which is sort of the, the ultimate in balancing of all of these layers that when we can practice things that bring a sense of joy and contentment and practices like gratitude and, you know, journaling and spending time in nature and all of those things that interact with others that bring us that really deep sense of joy. And we can see how each one of them impacts the other and how, as we age, that while the conversations might shift, the fundamental pieces, the teachings remain the same. So we can move with grace. And when we're in pain and when we're feeling, you know, ill or whatever, we can work with not whatever, because I, I you know, I have chronic experiences in my life. And so I want to honor that and say that I can see how that can age a body and age a mind. But I can also see those glimpses of where the youth still exists, not the way it was. It'll never be the way it was. And why would we want it to be? but in the way that we can feel lubricated in the body and mind and spirit and move with some ease. Years ago, when I was in my yoga therapy training, one of my teachers talked about language, and I know that you love language and words. And she made this slight change in vocabulary that has really stuck with me. And it was the word chronic. And while she was teaching us to work with people who had trauma, people who had pain in their body that was for a prolonged period of time, she 
made the suggestion that we change the word chronic to persistent. And the reason that she said that was that people interpret chronic as it has no end to it. It's never going away. Where persistent means it's here all the time now, but with the right conditions and the right practices and maybe some changes or medications or treatments or whatever it was going to be, the persistent pain, just, just in the word, I don't know that it was actually different in experience. You know, somebody who has chronic pain versus persistent pain probably feels exactly the same way. But she suggested that when we were communicating with people to use the word persistent because it had a little bit of more of the hopeful outcome to it. And so I like that word and I try and remember, I don't always, to use the word persistent allowing me to work with my clients and let them know that maybe with the right strategies, the right practices for the physical body, but not only the physical body, the thoughts, how are they contributing to this discomfort and pain in the body? You know, sometimes some in my different teachers have suggested that it is possible that what we don't want to deal with mentally, we can shove in our body someplace. Well, and then we have the score. The body, body holds the score, it, right? You know. I had a client once and she named, I named my knots and she used knots. I don't use that word necessarily in relation to what she was speaking, but most people do. And she would say, oh, anytime I touched a place that she was holding tension, she'd say, ah, that's my 13-year-old daughter. Or, oh, that's my boss. A real testament mm -hmm. to her awareness that she was holding her mental and emotional stress in her body. Yeah, I know. I used to call the colony under my left shoulder blade a colony of knots. I used to just refer to that as, you know, the thing that allowed me to live a free-spirited life. Because when things came up that I didn't want to deal with it, and my body just held it. I didn't have this awareness until I had the language to put to it. And I was like, oh, my God. That's why, I mean, because I was always someone who was like, hey, anything goes. And when anything goes, in reality, everything doesn't go, then that shit's got to go somewhere. You know, Liz at the Prancing Peacock used to refer to the hips as the junk drawers, like we would shove our shit there. And while I never really had an opening experience or an emotional thing with my hips, I definitely had openings with that shoulder blade. And so that was the data that I needed to kind of go, oh my God, I get to work with that now and release those 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 old pains, those old things that were, and thank them for holding whatever they were holding for me that allowed me to live the life I wanted in that moment. But now I'm feeling pain and I need to fucking deal with it. So that's a whole other, you know, sort of way in. But yes, I think that like, and people would name their gray hairs and they name, you know, all of the things that are almost the undesirables, the things that we kind of we need to name in order to be able to relate to in some meaningful way. Yeah, I guess that really helps and leads us into mindset. Like, what is the mindset that each of us individually hold around our own personal aging process? You know, what do we focus on? Are we focusing on naming those things that are considered the undesirables? Maybe. Or do we have a mindset where we just embrace, like, oh my gosh, I'm, uh, getting closer and closer to this new, new phase of life. And then 
jump into it with looking for its gifts, looking for the treasures that happen at different times in our life. In my 60s, I'm still mom, but I'm Nana also. So whole different way. I find that going out with my grandkids, when my kids were young, we went out and we played outside. We went to the park and fed the geese. We played on the monkey bars. We went to the petting zoo. There were all these things that we loved to do. We played tag in the backyard. Then my kids got older and I garden. Maybe that was this way of me knowing that my body still wanted to do something real physical. I remember just how amazing I felt when I would dig a hole and lift up that tree and dump it in the hole and cover it back up. I just felt like I was invincibly strong and that I could do anything. Now I have grandkids who are like, come on, Nana, let's go do this and let's go do that. And another way of cultivating this positive mindset of feeling youthful in my activities, I think helps me feel youthful in the in my actual physical body. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel more youthful when my body is letting me do all the things I want it to do. Um, but you're talking about mindset. So I'm going to move into, and I'm actually going to read this. I went on to chat GPT and I asked it to synopsize the episode of the twilight zone called kick the can. And it's one of my, as soon as we started talking about this as a theme for an episode, I was like, Oh my God, kick the can, kick the can. So if you haven't seen the original Twilight Zone episode of Kick the Can, try to find it, YouTube it, or, you know, go on to some streaming service. But this really speaks to mindset and some lessons that we can take. In the Twilight Zone episode, Kick the Can, we're introduced to the Sunnyvale Rest Home, a place where elderly residents spend their final days. One of the residents, Mr. Conroy, is known for his childlike enthusiasm and belief in the power of imagination. He often reminisces about his childhood game of kick the can and its ability to keep people young. One evening, Mr. Conroy convinces some of the other residents to join him in playing the game. Initially skeptical, the other residents reluctantly participate. To their astonishment, they discover that the game has a magical effect. As they kick the can, they start to regain their youth, becoming energetic and carefree once again. The rejuvenated residents relish in their newfound vitality, engaging in youthful activities and reliving their past joys. However, not everyone embraces the transformation. One resident, Mr. Bloom, is resistant to the idea and chooses to remain unchanged, preferring the wisdom and experiences that come with old age. As time passes, the rejuvenation starts to fade and the residents return to their aged state. Disappointed by the temporary nature of the transformation, some of them become disheartened. But Mr. Bloom, who refused to play the game, shares words of wisdom, reminding them that the true magic lies in cherishing the memories and experiences of their long lives, rather than seeking a return to youth. In the end, the residents come to appreciate the value of their present lives and the wisdom that comes with age. They learn that there is beauty and vitality in every stage of life and that holding on to childlike wonder and embracing the present moment can bring joy and fulfillment regardless of the age. Kick the Can serves as a poignant exploration of the fear of aging, the power of imagination, and the importance of embracing the present. It reminds us that while youth may fade, the spirit can remain ageless through a joyful outlook 
and a willingness to find magic in the ordinary. So the five basic takeaways from that, embracing, embracing childlike wonder, the power of belief, fear of age and desire of youth, embracing change and seizing opportunities, and appreciation for the present moment. And these all kind of, you know, they had that feeling back again, but it was their present moment that really held every, all the magic. I am so interested in the fact that they named him Mr. Bloom. The guy who wasn't going, his name was Mr. Bloom. And I always, I always find it interesting when everybody was blooming or be, coming out of their bud and the person who did not join had the name of the experience. You know, when I was younger, my dad was, uh, had a book and the book was all about mind exercises to stay youthful and to keep the mind active with continuing learning and to challenge our mind and stimulate like cognitive function to be able to look at something and remember. And there's only really two pages in the book that I remember. And the first page, or well, when you open the book, it's the two side-by-side -side pages, was a group of photographs of individuals and their names. And the, you were supposed to look at this for a specific amount of time, and it was a short amount of time, so I'm going to guess 30 seconds, but that's just coming from my memory. And look at their images, look at their names, because the next page is going to be the same group of people without their names. And the test was, can, how many names can you remember? And what was really interesting was their names, like Mr. Bloom's, had something to do with their appearance. Like there was a gentleman called Mr. Pompadour, and that was his hairstyle. And Mrs. Peacock was wearing a shirt like mine is today, a peacock-colored shirt. But each individual, as you went through this game of testing your memory and exercising it, you get better and better because you start to recognize that the names are so closely related to the physical attributes that there was a, a clue of how to do it. Some of the other things that came up in keeping the mind active and remembering things was, for instance, the number 45736. If I say, okay, so 45736, and then I continue to talk and go on and tell the story and talk about how excited I was about Mr. Bloom, and then say, can you remember the number? And everybody, are you remembering what number I said? But the test was, if I change the number from 45736 to 45736, that's two numbers rather than five. And the brain would process it different. So if I could break it down into a smaller quantity, I would be more likely to remember it. I didn't it's... know there was going to be math. <laughs> no adding or addition, just remembering numbers. <laughs> I also had this exercise once when I was young to make up a story about everything I needed to get at the grocery store. So the story would not be, I need milk, bread, eggs, and cereal for the kids for breakfast. It would be, on Mondays, I make my son's bacon and eggs for breakfast. On Tuesday, they have to... And I would have this whole story that I would tell. And it was an exercise so that when I got to the grocery store, I could repeat my story and remember everything on the list. 
sometimes I did pretty well. Sometimes I didn't even remember the story. <laughs> well, I say learning through song and story is is a great way to, I guess, for different certain kind of learners. You know, my dad used to do Sudoku for that mm -hmm. memory. Yeah. And it's one of the things that comes with these different things that I've come across on ways to stay young. Right. You talked, you just gave us a beautiful list. You know, what do we do with our body that makes us feel young? It's interesting because I've been living in my new place for what, five weeks now, six weeks. And I live in an over 55 community. And I can tell you, I can describe to you every person who walks in the neighborhood because I know all the walkers. Um, because they go by my house on a regular basis or when I'm out walking Siva, I see all the walkers. But it surprises me how few people I see outside. And that, based on where I live, I feel like I live in a park sometimes because that's what it feels like. So this getting out and being social, remaining socially active is another one of the suggestions mm -hmm. for staying young. And like the koshas, I mean, Mike, like I've said this before a few times in the podcast, my grandmother was 101 when she died. Her diet was not nutritious. You know, she didn't go out. She, she was sort of reclusive and didn't really have the social engagement. She was an anomaly, but she was an alive person. Like she was someone who had all the same, you know, sort of basic elements that we have. And so what is the difference? Why, you know, was she, why did she live so long without, you know, most of these bullet points? Yeah. And I think it's interesting when you, I love the distinction between chronic and persistent, because while I was in my pain, I always use the word chronic and it felt like it was going to be endless. And when I use the word chronic on the other side of it, I, I have hope because I'm already on the other side of it. I just knew then it was chronic, but persistent would have been a really helpful way to feel more hopeful during the experience of, of the pain. The same thing I think is true with the, word, the words youth and young, feeling young, feeling youthful. I prefer to use the word vital because mm -hmm. I'm not young. I mean, I'm not a youth. Um, one of my daughters, she's like, girl, she's always calling me girl. I'm like, you can call me woman, but please don't call me girl. I'm not a girl. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a woman. And so, and it's funny, I always say she can say fucking shit, but she can't call me girl and she can't call anyone stupid. Like the words matter, but which words matter and why? I don't care. But I'm not interested necessarily in feeling young because then that is a bigger mind fuck. And then I have to, if I'm feeling young, I've got to look young and I'm not doing the things to look young. And, you know, it just becomes a vicious circle for me. So when I feel like I just want to feel healthy and vital until my final days, I want to be able to do the things and like we all do. But sometimes those words also, you know, feed into our culture that is selling us all these products that we're injecting, you know, formaldehyde in our bodies. And we're doing all this stuff to to be young um, when it's like, but our, how do you feel? You know, do you feel good? Do you feel ready to tackle that next challenge with vigor and with with mental acuity and with a sense of 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 childlike wonder without being a child? You know, that's kind of like so. Yes, words matter and and because they mean things to us. And so here's what I want to say for, I know we're coming up near the sort of end of the conversation. As a practice goes, one of the things that we did this weekend with our participants was we restoried some of our memories. We talked about our limited beliefs and we talked about the stories that we tell ourselves and that other people have told us 
and how they've sort of solidified into a brick in the wall of our identities. And so, you know, and I've said this before too, that identity is porous. We just don't always act like it is. So to take one of those stories that you tell yourself about youth, about being young, and I'm really, we're speaking to an audience of people that have come to our, our things, which were our, in our 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. And this is sort of the demographic of people who are showing up. So if you are not in that demographic, you may still, or other kind of graphic, but you may still have a story about what it is to be young, what it is to feel youthful. So maybe journal that, but rewrite it from the perspective. If you're not there, write it from the perspective of a 90-year-old. You know, even in my 50s, I could write it from the perspective of a 90-year-old. We could all, for a 101-year-old, but write it from your older self. And, you know, what are the qualities of feeling young and youthful and all of that that may easily move into the world of vitality and ease? So, yes, we are coming up on the end. I loved vitality. I loved, you know, that word versus youthful because it is ageless. Uh, regardless of age, you can be by, you can like embrace and embody vitality or not at any, and at any age. What I'm really excited about is that we can finally say second annual because we have coming up our camp and because it is our second year of offering experiences to our community, to our neighborhood, uh, in our mission to connect individuals to the collective group, one of the things up, so we have camp coming up and it touches on all of the different uh, steps, steps isn't the right word, all of the different components of holding on to that vitality. We have done some really fabulous things in our last year, like, uh, and hopefully we get to do the same and brand new, but there's always movement and activity walks out in the woods and on the trails. We played with bubbles and we learned how to hula hoop. What else did we, oh, we played, we did the conga line through the sprinkler because it wound up being really hot one day. Um, We were asked and have added into our schedule for this time. So more getting to know your neighbor activities. So you know, when I, for me as a facilitator, I want to make sure that people always feel like they get what they got what they came for. So I try and fill in every moment when we're planning to make sure that it's rich with activities. But the request was, you know, we have a lot of reject activities. Can we also just have some time to, you know, socialize and slow down a little bit? So we added sharing meals together, which is the perfect way of, of keeping those social engagements. And holding on to our Anamaya Kosha, our healthy body. And so we've also pivoted a little bit. We were going to do two sessions of camp, but our session of camp, where we've decided to do one, we're going to be doing a workshop, a camp shop, a little Kosha yoga thing in there, which we'll let you know. But camp is August 5th or 4th and 5th. Did we change it to 4th and 5th? Friday night and Saturday. Uh, Friday night and Saturday. So a lot of changes going on. We got to just keep up with ourselves. So on Friday night, August 4th, and Saturday. So at the nighttime will be a few hours. We're going to share a meal. We're going to get to know each other. We're going to break all the ice. And then Saturday is going to be a nice long. So rather than two days of five hours each, it's going to be like three hours and seven hours. So we've got, we're still doing the 10 hours. We're just distributing them differently and offering, you know, each year is going to be different, even though we're in our second annual, we hope that you'll join us and play with us. 
Until next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening, for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to our channels and other stuff. Thank you for inspiring us to have these conversations and to create contemplative live experiences that move our bodies, hearts, and minds to the rhythm of our highest selves. Thank you for showing up. Feel free to send us your stories, questions, and comments to anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank our amazing editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our fun music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos. Journey with us as we continue down the roads of discovery, taking the detours and meeting the mysteries. You are our why. See you next time.